think I might just preach a sermon in this chair, I reckon. Front row, just to be honest, I just couldn't be bothered. Getting out the front. I mean, everyone can hear me, so. Hey, church, I've um, got a word for you today. Turn to Acts chapter 20, uh, no, Acts chapter 2. And Cal, I think you should go up there. <laughs> that was bad acting. Why can I stay here? All right. Sorry, guys, change of plans. Change of plans. Um, Jazz said that uh, <laughs> I have to go up on the stage. That's where preachers are meant to preach, right? From the front. That's probably more. Okay, sorry. Apparently I'm meant to engage with people. I... Oh, sorry. Hang on, guys. Hello? Hey, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> hey, what's up? Yeah? <laughs> Get out. Seriously. That's gold. Hey, um, I can't speak right now. Yeah, I'm preaching. No, I'm the preacher. There's like hundreds of people. They're waiting for me to talk. All right. Cool. Call you later. Thanks, mate. Bye. Sorry, guys. I get distracted. Totally distracted. I'm all yours. I'm going to be focused. Okay, let's start this again. Acts chapter 2. Hey, Jazz, what, what, how, how long do we... Uh, 20 minutes. Hey, Ames, can I have the... Water, can you use the water? I just need water. Sorry, oh gosh, hang on. Oh, okay, uh, hang on, hang on, tie, tie. Doing great, man. How you doing? Hey, it was great engagement party yesterday. How you get? You feel exhausted? Yeah, no worries, I'll speak to you later. Sorry, how long have I got? So, okay, all right, all right, cut, cut, cut. This is where Taryn would normally come up and say, okay, stop the scene. I'm just messing around with you. Thanks, Jazz. That was just highly overacted, but thank you. I was wanting to be, wanting to be a little bit natural, you know, have a little chat. But um, anyway, you know I'm just messing around. And uh, if, you're, if you're new to this church, it's like, who's this guy? You know, what a piece of work. He's just ignoring everybody. Hey, but let's be honest, aren't there some people that are a little bit like that, if you know what I mean? You're, you're having a conversation with them and they're just so distracted. They're on their phone. They're looking around. They're not locking eyes. You know, if that was me to you at some point, I'm sorry. Sometimes we do get a little bit distracted. But when people do that and they're not really engaged with you, there is a message that is spoken loud and clear. And it says, you're not worth listening to. You're not important. I don't really care. And we want to make sure that we're a church that's not like that. You know, when you look at the early church, I think they got it right. They were great with relationship. We're going to look in a moment what they did. Uh, but it was a place where they loved each other, listened to each other, built that kind of relationship and rapport. And, uh, but how did they do that? How did the early church actually build those life-giving, wonderful, sacrificial relationships. Well, can I tell you, it wasn't in a setting like this so much. Uh, it wasn't so much that they sat in rows looking at the back of someone's head, hearing someone speak to them for like half an hour or so. Uh, for the early church, the picture we get, it's not so much about rows, but more about circles. That's where relationship happens in circles. And so we're going to look today about what that means because rows are great, right? Don't get me wrong. Rows are great, but circles are better, uh, especially if we're going to be a church that grows in God and impacts lives, okay? So um, let me pray and we'll get straight into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. We thank you for the family that we have here. 
And we're asking, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that your spirit will come, that you will speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenges us, challenge us, and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, for he is worthy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. That's where we're going to go today. A very popular passage when talking about uh, the early church and what they did. Uh, feel free to read along in your Bible. Uh, before we jump to the text, though, it's important that we get the backstory. Uh, if you know anything about Acts 2, which I'm sure that you're very familiar with that story at Pentecost, you know, the Jewish festival, uh, the believers are also there gathering together and the Spirit of God comes upon them. There's like rushing wind, there's tongues of fire, the Spirit enables them to speak in different languages. Everyone else is absolutely amazed and confused, like what's going on here? And Peter, the Apostle Peter, stands up and he explains to them what it's about. You know, that it's a prophecy from Joel that the Spirit be poured upon all flesh. Uh, but it also gives him an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so Peter preaches the gospel. And all the people there listening to the message, they heard uh, their hearts were convicted, uh, that God was moving in their life. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, what must I do to be saved? We need to know. And Peter says, you need to repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they did. They turned away from their lives. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. They repented. Baptism is uh, an act of repentance. And then they received the Holy Spirit. And it says that 3,000 people that day were added to the church. 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church. We're not just talking about 3,000 people who put their hand up in uh, an altar call. No, these people are saying, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to give my life to this. I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to be incorporated into the body of Christ. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit changed their life. Three thousand people in one hit do you know what we call that revival like it is revival in first century jerusalem like they've never experienced before it's like these people were born again they were dead but god made them alive and they were given a new heart they were given new desires and they were a brand new people now that's the context so what did they do from then what is the overflow or the the outcome of being filled with the Spirit and becoming a new person. Well, this is where we pick up the narrative from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What an amazing picture of the church, amen? And uh, there, there are things that I'm going to bring out of that because um, we want this church to be an example for us at Uni Hill today in the 21st century. But let's start at verse 46 up there on the screen. I think it's, yeah. It says there that there were two places that they met, two settings. The first one is that they met at the temple, a continued meeting at the temple. This is part of their Jewish custom. 
you know, and people would come to the temple to pray. There were allocated times of prayer, nine in the morning, three in the afternoon. So they came to the temple to pray. Uh, at the temple, the Torah would be read out loud when people gathered. Uh, it was a time where people would bring their offerings. They would even give donations. There were these giving stations all around the temple area that people can contribute. That's their offering to God. Uh, the Levites would get their instruments out and they would sing spiritual songs, particularly the Psalms. That's what they did. And basically large numbers of people came from everywhere to honour God. Now, that's what the believers still contribute to, to doing. And that's interesting because a lot of things they did there at the temp temple is what we do here today, isn't it? And, and so I think it's really important that we continue to meet on Sundays together as our whole family to come and worship God, to, to see God move upon our people. Uh, a matter of fact, I'm still... We're praying. This is a season of prayer and fasting. We're praying that God will continue to move and uh, increase His presence here and people are changed. I love what we do here. Okay, I love it. Um, so we should continue that. But the second part of verse 46 is very significant with what the church was also committed to. And this is what I want to speak about today. They also met in homes. So they gathered in circles. Okay, it was something they did regularly. There was connection. Uh, it was a place where people felt loved and accepted and welcomed and discipled to become more like Jesus. That was the setting that they met in. Now, meeting in rows is great. Like, I love meeting in rows. Yeah, I love what God is doing here at this church. But as I said, rows are good, but circles are better. So what I want to do is I want to look at uh, this passage today in Acts 2. And uh, look, like I said, how, what can we learn from that, right, in our 21st century context? Because I think they got it right. The early church seemed to have a grasp on these things. And uh, we're going to be looking um, in this passage, and we're going to see how meeting in circles accomplishes four things, spiritual, physical, emotional, and missional. So let's look at the first one, uh, spiritual. It says there in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was Scripture, uh, and a fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, it says that these believers devoted themselves to these things. Now, the word devoted there means to uh, persist or persevere in. So they prioritized, prioritized these things when they met and they persisted in them. They, they continued in these things. It wasn't a one-off thing. It was just part of what they did. It wasn't weird to talk about what the, the apostles' teaching at the time and, and to pray together. It was just what they did in that organic environment. And if we want to see spiritual growth in our lives, it would benefit us if we too would commit to these things when we gather in those relationships. Uh, for example, God's Word, right? God's Word is a standard. You know, we, we hold to it, we honour it, we're instructed by it, and together we search the Scripture. Not to get all puffed up with biblical knowledge. That, that doesn't mean anything. It's what does the Word say to us to change our lives and instruct us how to live for God. Secondly, fellowship. We need to commit to fellowship. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Breaking of bread. This is what the early church did in the homes. They broke bread together. And um, that's something that we can continue to do when we gather in groups. We don't have to just leave it on a Sunday to get those elements. Hey, Steve, fantastic job, by the way. That was awesome. That was straight to the point. I loved it. 
But it doesn't just have to be on a Sunday with those elements. You can break bread or remember the Lord's death as you come together in homes. You have a meal together. Use the elements on the table to remember Jesus. And that's what the early church did. And it said prayer. That's the fourth thing. Fourth thing. Prayer needs to be part of everything that we do. We need to be soaked in prayer. We're doing a season of prayer and fasting and we're calling out to God. So use this time to dig deep and call out to God. But also use prayer as a way to minister to others in smaller groups. We've got to make prayer, um, like I said, centre of everything that we do, right? To minister, to pray for one another when we gather, all right? So these are the things that the early church were devoted to. And these are the things I think will bring spiritual maturity in the body of Christ if we commit to them, okay? Now, I briefly mentioned that word fellowship, right? The reason why I want to put this word in the spiritual category uh, is because um, in the Bible, the word fellowship is about deep spiritual connection, either with God or with other believers. And in this context, it's talking about believers, okay? Fellowship with other believers, the original Greek word for fellowship, as I'm sure you've heard, is koinonia. Um, you know, it, it occurs somewhere around 20 times in the New Testament. It's translated into a number of different English words in our Bible to convey the depth of its meaning. But in every single instance, koinonia, it speaks about fellowship with, like especially when it talks about fellowship with other believers, it depicts an interactive and dynamic and close relationship that we are to have with one another. All right. It's more than just a social gathering. It's more than just attending a church service once a week. Now, don't get me wrong. We are, I guess, experiencing fellowship in some way, in some measure today. But when we talk about fellowship, as mentioned in the Bible, koinonia, it's so much more. And I want us to get a grasp of this. Koinonia is more like welcoming a friend into your life. That's how deep, that's how connected it is. It's to experience all of life with you. Even if there's laundry on the floor, even if there's dishes in the sink, the baby's crying, that's okay. That's koinonia. It's saying, come into my life. You know, koinonia is when you're sick in bed and a friend comes over and, and takes care of you or goes out of their way to cook a meal to help you and to bless you and to serve you. That's koinonia. It's seeing each other on the good days and the not so good days. Okay, day in, day out. That's koinonia, that's fellowship, that's inviting someone into our lives. And I think we've missed that understanding of fellowship, haven't we? We talk about fellowship, but no, this is going to a whole new level. This is getting into people's lives, doing life with them. And the Apostle Paul was a great example of this when he ministered to the church in Thessalonica. He says, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Okay, fellowship, koinonia is about sharing our lives with one another. Now, sharing your life with other people, it requires a measure of vulnerability. And that can be pretty challenging for some people, especially if you've been hurt, especially if trust has been violated. I get that, I understand that. But that's why today I want to emphasise, get into a group or get to involved in relationships with people who love Jesus, who care about you, who listen to you and who, who want to see you come to full health and grow in God. Okay, because when we get the idea of fellowship, fellowship here, lives change. It's better, life is better together than alone. 
All right, that's, that's what I want to say today. Life is better together than alone. I like this quote from Helen Keller. She says, walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. I like that. Guys, we're better together than we are alone. We're created for relationship. And, and I think as the Western church, I think many people struggle with this. Because we live in a culture that is very individualistic. It's all about my needs, my desires, my reputation, my opinions, my happiness. You know, but that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is counter-cultural. The kingdom isn't, hey, take as much as you can for yourself. It's a no. It's give as much as you can for the sake of the gospel. It's not about me. Look at me. Make me happy. No, it's about Jesus and it's about you. It's about us together. Okay, we're better together than we are alone. And when we live out true biblical fellowship, then we become the church that God intends for us to be. Amen. That's the first thing, uh, spiritual. Second thing, the second need is um, physical. Okay, living in circles accomplishes this need, physical. We see this in Acts 2. Verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow, this blows me away. Just how generous the early church was, just how selfless, how sacrificial they were to practically meet the needs of their brothers and sisters. And this was not just a one-off thing. This was, again, part of what they did because we see in a couple of chapters later in chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. Wow, imagine if we're like that. We're all in one heart and mind, unified. They were all one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. So there was no, hey, this is mine. I'll give it to you. Make sure you bring it back when you're done. There was none of that. It was like, what's mine is yours. Go for it. That's it, period. They weren't possessive. And then it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Do you know why no one was in need? Because everybody contributed. It was the body of Christ. Everybody was involved in this. As it says, they were all one in heart and mind. The love of God was powerfully working in them. Some didn't just sell their possessions. They even sold their houses, got the proceeds and put it at the apostles' feet to distribute to those in need. How sacrificial is that? So my question is, how on earth could people be so generous? So what makes them so generous And when I thought about it, I think the answer is pretty simple. They encountered Jesus. They encountered the most generous, sacrificial, life-giving person on the planet. And their love for others to meet their needs was just an overflow of the love that Jesus actually gave them. Once you encounter Jesus, once you encounter the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the generosity of God in your life, you can't help to want to give to other people. Jesus says, freely you've received, freely you give. But it starts with an encounter with Jesus. Okay, now I'm not saying, hear me here, I'm not saying you have to sell your house and get all the proceeds and bring it to Uni Hill Church. All right, I'm not saying that. 
But what I'm encouraging us to do is to be generous. Let's not hold tightly onto things. Let's just give freely because Jesus has given to us. So if there is somebody that has a need and you have what you need, what they need, you can contribute. Don't even think twice. Do it. Just do it. Say, yep, I'm right there. And imagine that everybody did that, how close, how unified God's church would be. All right. So they met the physical needs. So meeting in circles meets our spiritual needs, our physical needs. And now our third point, emotional needs. Okay, being in relationship with one another connects with the emotional. It says in Acts 2, 46, 47, that they met together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. They ate with glad and generous and sincere hearts. Okay, it touches the emotion. A number of years ago, there was this um, US documentary called this emotional life and it was a documentary that was based on a study that looked at the relationship between relational connectedness and happiness and here's a quote from that documentary it says researchers have found that people are happier when they are with other people than when they're alone and the boost is the same for introverts and extroverts they're also finding that happy people are more pleasant helpful and sociable So being around other people makes us feel happier. And when we're happier, we're more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral of happiness. (laughs) It makes sense, right? We feed off each other. Now, of course, we, we, we understand that happiness is not the end goal, right? Happiness is an emotion. Emotions go up and down. I get that. But happiness is a byproduct of being in relationship with other people, especially spirit filled people. All right, people love you, you love them. People sacrificial, you're sacrificial to them. You're thinking they're happy. You're thinking, man, I love these people. I feel connected. I'm feeling better. It actually helps your emotional well-being, being with other people. You know, a lot of people who are alone, suffering from depression and other mental health issues, they're isolated often. And I get that because they probably don't want to be around people. But all that does, it just makes it even worse. All right, you need a body of believers, people who love you, will help you and do the journey with you so you can actually feel joyful and free. So coming together and meeting in these circles actually meets our emotional needs because like I said, we're better together than we are alone. Amen. Uh, I'm just going to ask Brett uh, Dipros, a friend of ours, to come at the front. He's just going to share with us a few thoughts uh, with regards to, you know, connect groups, gathering in little cir- uh, circles and uh, how he has actually benefited, benefited from that. Thanks. Thanks, Cal. <coughs> church. Okay, so during COVID, I was very isolated in my faith, uh, watching many church services online. But what I found was that I was lonely and isolated and desperate for connection and community. At that time, people were running from the church, but I was actually running to it. When I joined UHC in February 2022, I was broken mentally, emotionally, and relationally. Little did I know that in time it would manifest itself physically. Even though it was hard, I knew I needed to be in community. And that involved more than just Sunday morning corporate worship. It needed to include a more intimate level of connection And that's what the Connect group that Cal and Amy started offered. The best example or anecdote I could share 
um, was actually not a Connect group night. One of our families had opened up their home up for dinner in an informal gathering. It was raining. I'd arrived late after basketball training, um, but was greeted warmly and offered a plate of food. But what followed was a wonderfully intimate time of accountability where there was nowhere to hide. I remember someone looking specifically at me and, and just nailing me. Um, but equally, there was real truth, honesty, openness and transparency to sharing what was going on in my life. And what followed was acceptance, encouragement, um, sharing, um, connection, worship, prayer, and then reference back to the alignment of the word of God. I left feeling encouraged, renewed and hopeful. It was the kind of time that I imagine puts a smile on God's face. Our Connect group is a wonderfully diverse group of people of different ages, circumstances and life experiences. We are all at different seasons in our lives and over the last two years we've seen people come and go. However, the people that have been added to the group have brought a richness to this current season. When you look back, you begin to see the big picture of the tapestry that God has been creating as he's woven us together through the ups and downs of our lives. The unique expression, experience and gifting of each person have had room and space to be developed and shared. It's been such a gracious expression of the love of God in my life and has added a depth of understanding of what it means to be the church beyond coming together on a Sunday. Thanks, Brett. We've loved having Brett part of our group. He's transparent, he's open, and we, we really encourage that um, for, for all of us. Like when people come into our group, pretty much the first thing we say is just so you know, we do real. We're going to be honest. You share what you want to share, but we're here with you. Um, we don't want to fake it. And, uh, and we're really seeing the benefits of that, and Brett's just been adding to that, and it's just wonderful, and we're expecting to go deeper. And I know that's probably happened in a lot of your groups. I could probably get 20, 30 people come up here and give a testimony about the importance it is to get connected and to get emotionally healthy and, and all that. Um, but uh, for the sake of time, we'll move on. But uh, hopefully I'll just give you a bit of a taste, another example how we're better together, guys, than we are alone. All right. So, meeting in circles accomplishes the spiritual, physical, emotional, and the last one is missional. Okay, living in circles helps the church be missional. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, how did all the people get connected to the church? Well, the gospel had to go out, all right? And for people to hear their message and then give their lives to Jesus incorporated into the body of Christ, the gospel had to go out. Now, how did that happen? Well, we could put it down to the apostles. I mean, let's be honest. God's hand was on them. The power of God was on them. They preached the gospel. The message was validated by signs and wonders. You know, the, the apostles had a big part to play. But I don't think it was just the apostles winning people for Christ. I think it was the church. I think the church came together, took Jesus' commandment, the Great Commission, seriously, obeyed him and went out and was on board with mission. Because part of being a disciple is to make disciples. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right Now, this commandment was given first to the apostles, but as the Spirit started moving, 
and transforming lives and the church started growing, believers everywhere took responsibility of declaring the gospel and making disciples. It wasn't just the apostles, it was the church. You know, when you look at Acts chapter 8, where the church was scattered through persecution, it says those that were scattered, that's the church, it says they are the ones that went about preaching the word. So it was the wider body of believers doing it, not just the apostles. The church took the gospel message into the world and called people to himself. And as we saw in Acts, people responded and were added to the church. Now you might think, well, what's that got to do with gathering in circles? Well, you know what happens in circles when you gather together and you relate? You spur each other on. You encourage one another. You know, to live out as a follower of Christ in this world, in the, in the workplace, in our families, into the community. That's why gathering in circles is so important when it comes to mission, right? To equip other, others. Because if we're not discipling and equipping one another, then we won't be able to live the life that God has called us to and impact this world. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Let's just say if Jesus spent about 12 hours a day with his disciples... I think it was more than that. But let's just say 12 hours a day for three years, that equates to about 13,000 hours together, right? Day in, day out. Now, even after all that time with Jesus himself, right? The, the, the disciples were with Jesus himself, the master himself. Even with all that time, the disciples had a lot of gaps, didn't they? They had a lot of growing that needed to happen even when they learnt a lot. So if that's the case, why would we think that meeting one time, once a week is going to be enough to be discipled? It's not. This is not really where it happens. It happens in circles. Okay, It needs to be a whole life endeavour together. We're discipled and we grow in God when we do it together, just as Jesus did with the disciples, just as the early church did together. We spur each other on. Come on, let's do it. Let's live for Jesus. Let's win this world for Christ. I'm with you. I'm going to pray for you. Right? So what meeting in circles does, it actually meets the need of being missional in the church. Okay? So that's why we need to gather together. Uh, let me just show you this list and, and I'll, think I'll start wrapping things up. Um, Dan, if you want to come and join us. And, uh, and after I look at this list, we'll look at how this actually practically relates to us here at Unity Hill Church. Okay. Um, up there on the screen there, you've probably seen this, the one another's in the New Testament. Do you know there are about 59 one another's alone in the New Testament? Okay. Here's just a selection of them. Love one another. Be devoted to one another live in harmony with one another, build one another up, admonish one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, show hospitality with one another, on and on and on again. God's trying to get through to us, church. He says this is where churches need to come together and grow in spiritual maturity. We need to get this right, okay? But this is the thing. Imagine trying to accomplish all this on a couple of hours on a Sunday. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. So where does it happen? In circles. It happens in group. You go, you're involved in a group like Brett was talking about. See, we get together as a group once a fortnight. But our family, our little family goes beyond just that once a fortnight. Okay? Because he said we had a dinner together, went outside connect group time. It's actually doing life with one another. We have a WhatsApp group. It's like, hey, you know, 
can you pray for this person? Hey, I need this. Hey, what's this scripture mean? Hey, can you think of this person? We're always in connection. So it's not just once a week on a, you know, once a fortnight on a Tuesday. It's actually life together, all right? And if, it's, if that's the context, hey, we can accomplish this, all right? Like I said, rows are good, but circles are better. Coming together like this is awesome, but how about we just get together in smaller circles, build that relationship and see God move and build us up. Okay, life-giving relationships. That's what we need. So all that being said, what does that mean for us at Uni Hill Church? Well, we want to provide groups where Christ-centred relationships happen. Um, you know, smaller groups that reflect the early church and what they were committed to. Remember the early church were committed to meeting at homes, eating with glad and sincere hearts, enjoying deep fellowship, sacrificially giving to one another, searching out God's word together, breaking bread, praying with one another, being on mission. And I think when we build a community like that, I believe God's honoured. God loves it when we do that. We're together in one heart and one mind. And we don't want people to miss out on that experience Because if people aren't connected in relationship, they don't have an avenue to share their needs, their thoughts. They don't receive the support they might be looking for. They don't observe other people about how they live a life in Jesus. We need to learn from each other, right? If they're not in a group like that, how are they meant to observe that? They don't get to practice the one another's. Like I've been saying, we're better together than we are alone. So what we have here at Uni Hill Church um, where people can grow is our connect groups. Uh, it's a place where people can build relationship and share their lives with one another. Uh, most do meet uh, once a fortnight. Some meet weekly. And like I said, it's not that one time once a fortnight is the only time you meet. The whole idea is to get built up, build relationships so you can continue those relationships during the week, yeah, between the Sundays. That's our heart and our desire. So at the back of the auditorium after the service, we're going to have a little table. It's a sign-up table. If you are not in a connect group and you'd love to join, I want to encourage you to put your name and details uh, on, the, on the sheet there. And one of our leaders, either a connect group leader or myself, will get in contact with you and we'll make this happen. And uh, because we really want you to be part of the group. Maybe you're not in a group, but you get that stirring like, yes. I need that relationship. I need that fellowship. I need that connection. Follow that prompt. Go to the table. Write things down uh, because we're better together than we are alone. Okay. Um, We want to see growth happen. We want to see discipleship happen. Our pastor, Charles, he he said last week, our vision is to create a, a culture of discipleship at this church. And discipleship isn't just studying the Bible. It's actually helping us grow into becoming more like Jesus. And we want everybody to grow. And that's our desire. We want people to be connecting, thriving, being accepted. And so I encourage you to sign up. Now, let's be honest. Whilst we have a number of connect groups that are in operation, we need more. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but our church is slowly growing. There are more people walking in the door. And we want people to feel connected, but we need groups to facilitate that growth. And so if you're here today and you're part of our family and you think, you know what, I reckon I could start a group. I encourage you to do it. There's going to be another, um, something else to write down, another piece of paper to write details down. And uh, if you're interested, I'll get on to you. We'll have a coffee. We'll have a chat. We'll see where we go from there. 
Um, but uh, Or even if you want to just host a connect group in your home, that's part of the ministry as well. Okay, But we need more groups. We don't want people to feel left out. We want people to feel like they're part of something. When they walk into this place, they feel accepted, but they know they've got somewhere else to go midweek where people will love them and accept them. Amen? Awesome. Um, but remember Acts 2. They thrived. They absolutely thrived in relationships. But I'll just finish with this. Do you know where it all started? It started with the move of God. God finally, He promised His Holy Spirit. A time in history has never happened. The Spirit would come upon all flesh and those who believe would receive the Spirit. It started with the move of God. People heard the gospel message and said, yeah, I need Jesus. I've, I've, I've sinned against a holy God. I need Jesus. I need Him to forgive me. I want to start living for Him, not for myself. And they put their trust in Jesus and, and they got baptised in the early church and they were incorporated in the body of Christ and the, and the Spirit just moved them and changed them and the love of God was in them. But it started with a move of the Spirit, encountering God Himself. And so really when it comes to us, if we want to grow in that community that I'm talking about in Acts 2, it starts with the move of God. You've got to encounter Jesus. Maybe some of you here today, you come to church, you're seeing it happen before your eyes, but as far as that deep, intimate relationship with God, you're probably not there. But I'm going to encourage every one of us to really get connected with God because a love for Jesus will be a love for others. Yeah? Could I get you to stand to your feet if you're able to? I'm just going to start to wrap up. But we really, like I said, we really want people to meet Jesus. Who wants more of Jesus? Yeah. Me too. Me too. Well, it's possible because God is looking for hungry hearts. God is looking for hearts that are humble. God is looking for hearts that are not self-centred and arrogant and say, hey, I've got it all worked out. I don't need God. No. We all need God. Yeah. We all need God. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's nothing that we can do to earn His favour in our own strength. Hey, look at me, God, I'm doing this, this. I go to church at Uni Hill every week. Come on, isn't that enough? I give tithe. The Bible says that doesn't cut it. There's a part in the Bible in the Old Testament where he says, all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags to me. Because these people were doing it out of duty, but their hearts were far from God. God wants us to give His heart, our hearts to Him today. But it starts with the move of God and it starts with you just opening up your heart and being humble before God. So can I just get everyone to close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to just do business with God just for a couple of minutes and then we're done. But if you're here today and you want Jesus, you want the love of God, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to come and totally and utterly transform you so you can live like the believers in the early church, a life of sacrifice, a life of love, a life of selflessness. If you want more of Jesus today, maybe just put your hands in front of you as a sign of surrender and I'm going to pray over you. As if to say, Lord, I want more of you. Whether you're far away from Him or whether you're super close with Him, we all want more of Him. So just hold your hands out before you and I'm going to pray. And we're going to ask God by His Spirit to just move on people and just speak to people and encourage people and, and maybe you've got burdens in your life and you want God to, to lift those burdens, just give it to Him right now. 
As I said, if you're not walking with Him, now's the day to get right with Him. Or if you just love Jesus so much and you want more of Him, this is a prayer for you too. Yeah. So let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come in that mighty and powerful name of Jesus. We've sung the song, Lord. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. And we pray in that mighty name. We pray in that life-giving name. We pray in that powerful name that you will come upon your people. Lord, just look at those souls that are hungry before you. And we're asking, Lord God, that you would come and touch them right where they are. Lord, you know where everybody is at. You know the struggles that they're facing. You know their hearts that are hurting. You know everything that goes on, Lord. Nothing escapes you. But right now in this moment, Lord, would you just minister to them. Minister your love. Minister your comfort. Minister your peace. And Father, I'm just praying for an overflow of joy to just bubble up in people from this day forward where Jesus, you are number one. Come and change our hearts. Just come now in the name of Jesus. Amen.